ask you to turn with me in your scripture to um, Acts chapter 3. We'll be reading the whole chapter of Acts 3 and then portions of Acts chapter 4. Uh, This is God's word for us this morning. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the temple, at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets, holy prophets, long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with, our, with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. 
And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And yes, we have done, did a lot of reading this morning, and we probably will continue to do a lot of reading through this sermon series. And um, you just need the right context um, to kind of understand it. This is a book study. So guess what? We're going to read a lot of the book together. Um, So hear this word from God for you this morning. Jesus said back in Acts um, first chapter, verse 8, that before ascending into heaven, that the gospel would spread first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the outermost parts of the world. Well, as crazy as they must have imagined the gospel going uh, outside of Jewish territory, Christianity right now just being seen as a Jewish faith, a Jewish Protestant faith, if you will. Let me tell you, home, doing it in Jerusalem for the followers of Christ was going to be no cakewalk. Why? Because establishment upon establishment of religious, institutional, historical, and traditional hierarchy was standing in the way they were about to tell the equivalent of grandmama and granddaddy's pastor. You know, the one who baptized you and the whole family, the one who speaks at the family reunion and church leaders, that they were missing. Not one, of, not one of the most important pieces of the faith, but the most important piece of their faith. 
See, Peter and John were teaching that when they rejected Jesus, they had rejected, as verse 11 in chapter 4 says, the chief cornerstone of their Jewish foundation, that they had missed things. And get this, now Peter and John and Jesus' apostle were claiming to be the new religious avant-garde leaders. We, we call that unconventional and no godly earthly reason boldness in fashion. By healing this man sitting at the temple gates, they were declaring that God's chosen people, and yes, those leaders of God's chosen people that worked at the temple, too, are like that crippled man. That they were hindered by sin and trapped, settling for less than God had promised. That they, like we today, need and needed Jesus to heal them so they could in heart as well as bodily walk on in. To come and truly be able to worship and be right before God. Now, the Bible says that Peter and John were, were going up the temple for what would be afternoon prayer time, probably about three o'clock in the afternoon, and that outside the gate called Beautiful, a, a gate made of the finest bronze anyone could find, a gate that opened to the court of Israel, sat a beggar crippled since birth. Now, to help you understand what is going on, last week we talked about believers having all things in common and how revolutionary that would have been for these Jews in the Roman Greco world. Well, when they built the temple, they had courts which, which marked levels of entry. And this beggar is sitting outside of the gate that led to an area that only Jewish men without disabilities, without visible health issues could go into. The women, the lame, the sick, the handicapped were forbidden by temple Jewish law from going into the court of Israel, the all-good male court. Now, before we go all ACLU on this thing, Let's understand why they did it. As we look at Old Testament law, God forbade some sicknesses and the parents of sicknesses be allowed in communities or into certain things. And the Jews built the temple and its rules around that thought. You see ailments and sicknesses, handicaps pointed to sin and human weaknesses. It pointed to a lack of holiness necessary to be before God. Sorry, just the way it was back then so they could see something greater. Now, it did not mean that, that these folk were excluded from community. As a matter of fact, the sick and handicapped were by law supposed to be taken care of. But apart from that, this man's sheer brokenness would have stopped him from climbing the stairs to go into worship. He had a built-in condition, a broken condition from birth. But for the other beggars that lined the way to the temple with him, it might have not been something from birth. It could be the result of someone else's neglect. They may have not been able to enter worship and walk on into worship because they were run, on, run over by a cart when they were younger or, or dropped as a kid or, or not giving enough milk. Or, or maybe they had abusive and neglect, neglectful parents. It might just have been common brokenness that all humanity shares and, and that some of us get worse than others. But regardless, this man, like other beggars, was hindered, stopped, hobbled, forbidden from entering into what would be his right 
place to worship the Lord his God. You and I often find ourselves on the outside looking in at the grace and freedom and worship and fellowship with others that is ours and could be ours because we are hobbled and hindered by sin, our sin and and the effects of a broken world and the sins of others on us. Some of us have done and tried some crazy and stupid and thought it would make you accepted or better and that stuff has left damage on your soul and even in your body. Maybe it was sleeping with this person or or trusting this friend or or wanting to be something so bad that you have damaged your sense of self and worth. I was just talking to a few of you over the last few weeks about a certain campus ministry, same one as a matter of fact, that has left the true and lasting and real marks of spiritual abuse where you were drawn in and then dropped on your undeveloped spiritually, spiritual feet. And not just there in campus ministries, but in churches and in religious homes and by so-called godly people, spiritually abused and injured in your walk with the Lord and your faith. It is impossible. Impossible to, to walk into membership and, and worship and, and lose yourself in what God might have for you. And many have just been mistreated by folks, hollowed out and left out and counted out and knocked out by their meanness and evilness, and now you can't walk in what God has to give. Some of us are just tired and broken and beat down by circumstance where it's nobody's fault this or that thing happened or is, it is the way it is, but it just leaves you wondering, why? Why me? Well, you know, stuff happens not only from a bumper sticker, but it has stuck itself into and on your life. Just problems. Just kind of like bad world, bad luck kind of things. And now, we are hindered, hobbled, mentally, spiritually, and physically by guilt and failure. And we live in constant fear of worship and fellowship, and confession of our sin, and trusting the Lord and his people. You can't even go there with God, much less anyone else. You cannot walk on in. And so in a sermon, when Peter is arrested by the religious officials, you know, they had temple bouncers back then, just so you know, called the captain of the guard or captain of the captain of the temple. So if you acted a fool in church, he'd just come get you. There's another part of Acts, you'll see, where they, they uh, you know, interrogated the apostles. And the Bible says they beat them and then let them go. So you could get a whipping in church, too. I got plenty of those. My dad had glasses, you know, and he'd be sitting on the other side behind an organ. And I'd be sitting over this side with all the teenage kids. And you couldn't tell whether he was looking at you because the glare of his glasses I used to be over there talking, acting crazy, thinking he don't see me, but you couldn't see because of the glare. Then you just, I'd just be sitting in there out the corner of my eyes, I see my dad. Know what that meant? Captain of the temple. <laughs> but they're in tr- trouble for not just healing this man, but talking about Jesus being the one doing it. 
It makes clear what this is about. He says this in verse 25 in chapter 3. You are the sons and prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The bottom line for separation from the blessing, from being who God would have them to be, was wickedness, sin, brokenness. And you just can't walk in when you have that going on. When brokenness and sin and abuse have you, it is impossible like for this man. For some of you, it has been years dealing with the same thing. The sin and the guilt and fear and the pain that separates you from God and his blessing and his blessing and grace have, have become just a part of who you are now. And now you have decided to live in, in fact, at the end of a, live in it. In fact, at the end of our reading, it says that they were astounding at this healing because the man was over 40 years old. In other words, it seemed like after all these years of being hindered in the way he was from coming, that he was settled by God, that God was done with him, that God was finished and that outside of the gate was his place. That he was just not the worshiping or trusting type. That he was just a lifelong beggar, an outsider to what it appeared everyone else was enjoying. enjoying. The Bible tells us that this man was put in the same spot every single day. Placed there by some friend. Or some nice people going up to the temple to do his job, to beg, to be who he was, a beggar, a rejected from coming in beggar. The Bible says that Peter and John approached him and looked at him as if they were going to give him what he expected, some money some loose change, or to be overlooked again, he was stuck. He was trapped settling for less and couldn't even see or imagine at this point the more God had for him. But this is so true. But all that were in in audience to that miracle. Israel, God's chosen people, were like this man. God seemed to have left them without a Messiah. He had allowed them to be taken over and controlled by the Romans. And like this man, they had become settled. It was their lifestyle. They had become, uh, it was their lifestyle. Their, Their hope to get paid off by the Romans to be good Jews was just the way they lived. Some settled getting high places in government. They were settled with their moral and righteous laws and and ways to make them feel good about themselves and their God. They were settled to just go through the motions of being, of of a people begging for something that they would never get from God. God's people were settled on their own ability to be theologically and, and managerially astute. But in settling like this man, they were still not walking in the grace and freedom that was promised to them by God to their fathers back when they freed them, them from Pharaoh. 
But like this crippled man, oh my Lord, it has been so long. We've waited so long for a change that our lifestyle is simply a change ain't coming. It had been so long that the way they lived was their salvation. There was no more blessing and healing beyond what they had under Roman rule and just going through the religious motions. Oh, how you and I like them and this crippled beggar hindered to walk on in and toward the love and grace God has to offer because we are trapped. We are trapped settling to just be good enough and to just get by. When our brokenness and fears and sins take long to heal and haven't healed yet or doesn't happen the way we think it should, the way we think it should, we settle some to just be good people to be good enough. What am I talking about? Some of us are just fine being good people and making the world a better place. Some of us are are fine just kind of balancing the yin and yang and making sure the karma is on the right side of the dial. Some of us are fine just being churchy people, doing our Sunday service and giving our Sunday best an unexpected routine. Some of us are just looking for the right place to be so that what we were hoping the Lord would heal and hasn't, that what is hurting us wouldn't be shaken. Because when you're really in pain, man, movement hurts. And we don't want to have to face our brokenness or a God that we may find ourselves upset with or distrusting of. So we go to the kind of churches and people to feel good, to get a handout. To just play our part, we go to people and places surrounding ourselves with friends that will help us settle where we can be comfortably, possibly stuck, settling for less than what God may have for us. Some of you, I'm with you, have have gotten real good at pretending and acting like they feel no more pain or problems or longings. And for others, the demons and fear and failure in our lives have been there so long. Too long to even imagine that we could or should move and ask God for any more that we have right now because the answer will probably be no again. So like this beggar, we're just getting by. Some of us by being successful enough in our pandering, by having enough fun in life to cover it all up, like this man beside the gate, beautiful. We are getting by and trying to fig- forget our longings by living and being somewhere beautiful, like near this gate in the prime spot. That's called prime real estate neighborhood. Too big. Some are getting by with what the world might describe as fame and fortune and happiness and American dream. We live getting by with a beautiful exterior by getting a hookup with this person here and there, pleasure to pleasure here and there, but not too badly, too damaging, just trying to get by by giving and selling ourselves to fit in where we, we can, but just short of what God has for us. Finding a good hiding place. Or just keeping your mouth shut and head down and being a good team player, sitting and taking abuse, simply taking the scraps and sitting and settling, willing to take the place of shameful acts and glares, willing to take a hand down instead of a walking in. We are trapped, settled, being orphans and beggars in a place and among a people that don't believe God. 
can change them. And what we're doing inadvertently in settling is taking what will eventually kill our faith instead of give us life. Look with me at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. When we settle to try to just be good enough, to love ourselves, and for God to love us and settle to cover and pacify our hurts and fears and pains, we hide in the crowd or go along with a broken status quo. When we do that, we release murder on our faith. And we deny life to our messed up and deadened lives. The hard part for some of us, we settle because we must. We settle because we don't believe in Christ. We, don't, we have forgotten, some of us, that God has sent Christ. So we don't have to stay where we are in shame and degradation. The Bible says in chapter 3 that as Peter and John walked toward the temple to go through the gates for prayer, that verse 4 says that Peter and John directed their gaze at this man. And they said, look at us! You know what's funny? When people ask for money, whether walking the streets of Uptown, Noda, or standing at, you know, stopped at a stoplight, with the little cardboard signs. It's funny. It's like, is there a business making those signs? I see the guys with the same signs. They just leave them on the side of the road and somebody else picks them up where I, where I stop. You know, you, if you don't have anything to give or don't want to give, what don't you do? You don't make eye contact, right? Now, it is one thing to see them, to look at someone begging, to notice them, but by all means... If you don't want to give or don't want to feel guilty, don't let them see you looking at them. Because as soon as you do, they come into your car. Sometimes I'm walking, I can feel somebody looking at me. You know, I was in a parking lot the other day. Same guy holding a cell phone in his hand. I know what he's going to say. Hey, my car is broken down the road. My family's in the car. I need some gas money. Okay? And he comes up to you with the cell phone lit like he's struggling with something. Okay, he's scheming. He ain't really begging. He's scheming, right? He just going. And I came in the session meet that night, and someone's like, yeah, he hit me on the way in. Another night I was going to my car, and I saw him out the corner of my eye coming. I got in my car, didn't look. John's like, ain't no peripheral vision here. Peter's like, no peripheral vision. The Bible says... You know, we don't want, the Bible says that Peter and John directed their gaze at the man, but also on top of that, asked the man to look at them, to lift up his eyes, to, to have him see them looking at them, to see them as coming to give him something. In other words, we want you to know we see you, man, that what we have is for you, that this thing is purposeful. 
We're not just dropping the coin in the thing. We want something to give. We have something to give you. When you and I are hurt and failed and down on your luck, feeling sorry for yourself, you don't want people to know. You don't want people to look at you. Right? You know, it's funny. We were having this conversation the other day. Um, If you fall in the street, like getting in your car. The other day, I closed my locks in in the car door. I was cool, too. I mean, I I was having a good time. I think I was listening to some music on the way. I was feeling loose and cool, window down. I can get out the car and do one of these. You know, just, I'm here. The music is making me feel good. I don't know what I was listening to. But I closed the door, boom, and my hair was in the door. I call that being Absalomed. <laughs> Caught by your pride. I got my hair out because it hurt. First thing I did, who sees me? Still cool. We don't want people to look at us. Even though you may be looking for something from them, why? Shame. Fear of rejection. Fear that you will see yourself in their eyes and how they look at you. And it may make you know how down and hurt you really are. Jesus came to set us free by having us know that God sees us. And when we look at his perfection, that we will know we are truly and really broken beyond any repair. But why? So that we will, knowing our brokenness and knowing that he wants to see us, that he must be the one alone who blesses us. You know, Jesus came. The gospel is being preached so you can know the good news. God has fixed his gaze on you. God sees you in your brokenness and draws near hurt person, sinful person. Yeah, just like you know you are, God knows it. And he still fixes his gaze and attention on you. God and Jesus comes to declare that he has not forgotten or overlooked you or afraid of your sin or afraid is too big for him to handle. In fact, Peter says this in verses in verse 12. Verse 17, sorry. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance and killing Jesus as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets long ago. Verse 25, you are the sons and the prophets of and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up a servant, sent him first to you, to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He is saying God's people and those who would be God's people, God has his gaze on you as a people. So you can see him, experience is him seeing you, a broken and suffering people, to suffer for you. So that what? Verse 19 says clearly, so that your sins may be blotted out. 
God is not gazing upon you and me by his son Jesus for nothing. He has come to take away is one who sees and recognizes all the sin and shame and issues that hold us back, but not to condemn or shame us or make us feel bad about ourselves, but so that we can repent. To actually have the courage and the grace to to turn to God, to believe once again or for the first time that God loves you and can and will forgive you your sins and free you from the thing that has been done to us. He does not hate looking at your mess and looking at you. He is not ashamed of you. In Christ, God says, Look at me, my child. My son, my daughter, I have come to you and for you just as I find you broken and torn up by this world. I have come for you so sin will no longer hinder you from coming on in. That brokenness will no longer have its way with you and me. We can stop living a life of shame and and self-harm and self-hurt and other harm and other hurt. We can stop living desperate for something and people who will not help us because the Lord has his loving eyes upon you so that you can see the real you. Not the broken you, but in the eyes of Jesus, you can see a restored and redeemed you, a different you, a healed you. Because in Christ, by his blood, like Peter describes this man in verse 16, you appear to God in Christ as perfect. When God gazes upon those who've turned to Christ, He sees the holiness of God. He sees the holiness of Christ on you. And so you and I need to be freed by Jesus to not have to settle for less than God's best for us in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that the man looked at Peter and John and expected to receive something from them. Look at verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful, beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. This man was healed by God in such a way that his life no longer sat outside the gates of worship before God, outside the gates of fellowship, outside the gates of praise. Now, I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees here. Yes, this is about a man who can now walk. The Bible says his legs are strengthened right before their eyes. Luke is a physician, the one who wrote this book. He saw it. They could, his feet can now bear his weight physically. And this man never walked before and he began to walk. But not just walk for walk's sake. But the Bible says he leapt. And praise God. He didn't go the other way. Some of us, man, we got healed. 
We headed down to the game or something. You know what I'm saying? I got healed at the gate. I'm not walking into the gate. I walked the other way. The Bible says he leapt and praised God and went into the gate and into the temple courts to finally praise the Lord and be a witness of God's goodness. See, it's easy to read this passage as only being about God giving you the healing. The healing is the most obvious way that you want and need God to give it to you. But this healing was not just about this man's ability to walk. Remember last week we we talked about this this misstatement from that beautiful song that's on gospel radio sometimes. What God has for me, it is for me. And we talked about that ain't right. That's wrong. Nice song, but wrong. Last week I said what God has for me is for we. What God has for you is for me too. The Bible says that this man became a sermon illustration. He became a sacrifice for other people. This man's life was an offering to and before the Lord and for the people for a greater purpose than just his being able to run and walk again. This man's healing was done to bring attention to Christ, which means this, hear me, that his 40 years of suffering were there and given allowed by God too. So that at the appointed time, in the appointed fashion, that his life would give honor and praise to God outside and inside the gate were God given to make a testimony of God's goodness and grace and love and peace and his awesomeness. Some of y'all, it's been a long time. Where's God? Where's God? Right there in your mess, making a testimony of it right So that the appointed time, in the appointed place, and most importantly, for the right reason, and in the name of the right person, your life will give praise and glory and leap before the Lord. Jesus comes. The gospel is given. So that lives that are stuck being settled in the way where they refuse to give glory or unable to give glory to God can be healed to give glory to God in a way that Jesus and the gospel be true and everything else a lie if need be. Verse 4 says in chapter 4 that 5,000 people, men, came to Jesus that day. And then at the end of chapter 4, verse 19 says this. But Peter and John answered him, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way to punish him because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And then back in verse 11, um, in chapter 1. It says this, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them and portico called Solomon's astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, 
whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Down verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know in the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. In other words, this turned around life of this man was done by God's power. Why? So you could recognize and give glory and come to Christ. Why are you going through the mess you are? What should your healing mean? What should the reconciliation of whatever is broken in your life mean? That you would give praise to Jesus. Our lives are a mess in here, all over the place. We have settled and looking for silver and gold to make us feel better about ourselves. And God has let our lives be broken the way they have. But in that, we have settled for anything to help us get by in the weight and loss of hope. But there is a better way. You don't have to settle for anything less than being a sacrifice of praise with your life before God. And God, if Jesus come to heal your life in, the, in a way where your life will leap and give praise to God. And I don't know whether that means a miraculous healing or not. But God can do it. God can move all the circumstances and powers and evil over your life, all the history, and make it right. He can make whatever's broken, strong, healed, things that have been messed up and twisted all your life. He can, with one move and and one miracle and one touch and, and one event, it can be healed, it can be fixed. Or he can simply make you cling. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in a portico called Solomon's Astounded. Sometimes God heals us enough so that we can simply cling to the promises of God that we can cling to the gospel so that we hold on to the gospel for dear life. But no one clings to God through hard times and uncertain times unless the Lord has touched them by his power. Some of you can't worship today. You can't shout hallelujah. Our lives don't dance and sing before the Lord. We are afraid to come into the temple and ask and seek the Lord. We have gone numb and stale with the God stuff. We are giving up hope on our relationships and our children and ourselves. We must look to and believe that the God who sees us is and will powerfully touch us to leap or to cling. That even if we are suffering, to believe his truth over the lies that this is it, that God has forgotten us, that we are stuck being who we are, that we must bear the abuse alone, or that we are suffering for nothing, so God has left us with little or nothing to seek or praise him for. No, we must cling and sing and shout to the Lord, and now like others would, would look to God to come and give us hope. Clinging! Holding on to the gospel that says at just the right time, 
Christ came and died for the ungodly, that my Lord Jesus is a good shepherd, that, that tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, nor life, angels, or rulers, or powers, or, or things present, or things to come, no powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation. Not my past, not my mama, not what was done to me, not how my friends left me, not how, not how I was abused, not what I am addicted to, not how shameful a thing I have done, not how many times I've done it, not how many times I've left God, not how many times we've broken down in the argument, not how many times I said, this is the last time. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, from the powerful life-changing power of Jesus Christ, and you can cling to that. Not in our own power and ability and smarts, but because the Lord in his grace and the ministry of his people in the word and sacraments and fellowship of the church is healed and bringing us healing, that you can forever, regardless of the circumstances, and the sin and the settling and the struggle to just be mad, to just be angry, to just lose hope, to just be broken. Not that you won't be broken, but to just be broken. He calls us to sing as we cling. Help us, Lord. You alone can free us from the hindrances to your glory in your worship. By the power and name of Jesus Christ, walk on and walk on in.